So last February, Ashley Judd was thanking the men and women who rescued her in the Congo after she broke her leg in a remote rainforest and who transported her on a more than two-day journey to a hospital. She says, without my Congolese brothers and sisters, my internal bleeding would have likely killed me or I would have lost my leg. Recalling how she tripped over a tree in the dark, Judd described how a man named Diu Merchi, quote, stretched out his leg and put it under my grossly misshapen leg to try to keep it still. It was broken in four places and had nerve damage. He remained seated without fidgeting or flinching for five hours on the rainforest floor. He was with me in my primal pain. He was my witness. Another man named Papa John, he didn't deliver pizza, but she said he calmly assessed my broken leg. He told me what he had to do. I bit a stick and Papa John began to manipulate and adjust my broken bones back into something like a position in which I could be transported while I screamed and writhed. She then was taken by a motorbike on a six-hour ride on a, quote, irregular, rutted, and pocked dirt road. A man named Didier drove while I sat facing backwards, his back, my back rest. When I would begin to slump to pass out, he would call out to me to reset my position to lean on him. So the star was eventually flown to Sunning Hill Hospital in Johannesburg, South Africa. There she thanked the medical staff for the top-notch world-class care that they gave me, she said, that saved my leg. I, I start with that. I think that, I think that speaks well of Ashley Judd, she's an actress, and I think maybe a singer too, because number one, she's grateful, she's thankful, and number two, she's very specific in her gratitude, right? She names names. Would have been a lot easier just to say, hey, shout out to all my Congolese friends who helped to rescue me. But she names at least three people that participated in her rescue and her salvation and the contribution that each one of them made. Uh, I want to use that as a springboard this morning because most of us here, we're, most of us are Christians. We've been saved. We've been rescued. Who rescued us? Who saved us? I'm saying Jesus did. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Yes, Jesus saves. That, that's absolutely true. But what about God the Father? Did, did He save us? Yes. What about God the Holy Spirit? Did He save us? Yes. Well, how does the role that Jesus played differ from the role that the Father played? And how does that differ from the role of the Holy Spirit? in our rescue and our salvation. Well, we ought to be able to, to say, we ought to be able to differentiate that as part of our own thankfulness and gratitude toward God, part of our worship. And this helps us to be better worshipers. I think what Ashley Judd did spoke to the authenticity of her gratitude. And uh, for us, the better we know God and, and what He did in rescuing and saving us, the more authentic is our gratitude and worship for Him. So today, we're continuing in our sermon series, 1 Peter, the letter of 1 Peter called Keys to the Kingdom. Last Sunday, we were in verse 1. It was the identity key. Today, we're in verse 2, right? Moving right along. If we continue at this pace, we're going to be in this series for a long time, which we are. And in verse 2, Peter enumerates each person in what we call the Trinity or the Godhead, and the contribution that they made to our salvation. I've got three chairs up here, and I do have my, my props. We're a little prop heavy in the message this morning, but the props are designed to kind of, number one, help us in our memory to remember what the takeaways are, and maybe to clarify the points as well. So, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is after church today, when you go to lunch, or you're, you're at dinner, 
and the other people you're at church with, I want you to quiz each other. And the question is going to be, what was the role? What's the key word for God the Father, key word for God the Holy Spirit, key word for God the Son, and the role that they played in our salvation? I know that's what you do, right? Every Sunday at lunch, you're always talking about the sermon. I know that about you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So let's go in the order that Peter goes in. Let's start with God the Father. This is, uh, crown represents God the Father. Purple is the color of royalty. And my prop here, I'm going to give you the finger this morning in a good way, is uh, the finger represents your number one, and the, the key word for God is chosen. See, God the Father, chosen. So I, God chooses you, God chooses you, and you, and God chooses you, and you, and you. God the Father chooses. All right, that's the role of, of God the Father. So when you're quizzed today, that'll be the answer for that. According to his foreknowledge. Well, let's explore that. Just, let's just unpack that a little bit. We know that God has foreknowledge. God is omniscient, means all knowledge. And foreknowledge means God knows the future. So when Peter says, you, we have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, what is it that God the Father knew about us in advance that caused him to choose us and not maybe choose someone else? Well, if I understand what the Bible teaches, what God foreknew about us is that we would be among those who would obey the gospel. He knew those who were going to obey the gospel. Now, we find that phrase many times in the scriptures. For instance, in Romans chapter 10, the apostle Paul, speaking of the Jews of his day, said that they did not all obey the gospel. What does that mean? Well, it, it means that God has determined certain uh, commands or directives or imperatives, whatever you want to call them, certain commands that we are to obey in order to receive his gracious offer of salvation. So Bible says many are called, that everyone's called, but few are chosen. And God's not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance and be saved. And yet not all are. Only those who choose to be chosen, so to speak. So God has issued four, I call them gospel commands. These are commands that we obey that are directly connected with receiving the gracious offer of salvation from God. And we know that they are gospel commands because each one is connected to forgiveness. Most of us know what they are. I'm just going to review them very quickly. The first one is to believe, to believe. It's a gospel command to receive salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So we have to believe that Jesus was real. He existed. Uh, he was the Son of God. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He was resurrected so we could have resurrection life. We believe that about Jesus, and it is through that death that we are saved. All right, that's a gospel command. Number two is to repent. Repent. Turn to the Lord. Your sins may be forgiven. Times of refreshing will be experienced. Your sins wiped out. Repentance is a change of mind and attitude and heart where we turn away from living a life of sin and I'm the boss of my own life and nobody's going to tell me what to do. We turn toward God and we live with God as the Lord of our life. That's 
a decision that we make, repentance. All right, the third one, you have to say confession is in this group of gospel commands. The Romans chapter 10 positions it this way. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So gospel commands are not limited to subjective internal things like belief and repentance. It includes external actions like confession. Confess Jesus is Lord. And then the fourth one, and there are only four, is baptism. Baptism. Get up and be baptized. Wash your sins away, calling on his name. So you've got a person who has believed and repented, confessed Jesus as Lord, and has been baptized. Those are the four gospel commands or imperatives by which a person receives the gracious offer of salvation from God. So we are chosen according to his foreknowledge. So again, God chooses. God chosen. Now, we all know what's going on in Afghanistan. It's, it's captured the attention of the world. And I want to use that as a metaphor this morning. I was reading in a Wall Street Journal article that said uh, various Afghanis who have helped the United States troops like interpreters, they have had for years a, a process that they can go through by which they can obtain a special visa to come to the United States and become a United States citizen. It's actually a 16-step process. Very long, very bureaucratic. In fact, one of the steps has been, you got to get outside of the country of Afghanistan to begin with. And so just imagine, because we want to connect this morning. I want to connect not only on an intellectual level, but we want to connect with the heart too and our, our emotions and feel this. So imagine that you were one of these Afghani interpreters and you've been working with the United States and maybe you're on step two or three of this visa process when the country falls to the Taliban and you're there in Kabul and you're only on step three, there's 16 steps, you're never going to make it. And when the Taliban are at the door, you despair of ever getting out of the country. When all of a sudden you hear a knock on the door and you open it up and there's a U.S. commando. He's a commander. He's special forces. He says, today's your lucky day. You know, you've been chosen. You have friends in high places. I was sent to rescue you and your family. I got a chopper right, out, right outside here in this landing pad that's ready to lift you off and your family. You say, fantastic. The commando says, you only have to do four things. Four things? That's it? Yeah, four things. What are they? He said, all right, first of all, do you believe that, that I can do this? Do you, you trust me? You think I got the power to, to rescue you? And you look outside, you see the helicopter out there waiting, there's some more commandos. You say, yeah, I believe you can. I trust that you can do this. You say, all right, well, here's the second thing. Do you renounce a Taliban-style Sharia law where if people don't do what you say, you know, chop off their head? You say, yeah, yeah, I renounce that. I, I, I don't want to go that route. You say, all right, here's the third thing. Will you support and defend the Constitution of the United States, right, as an American citizen? Absolutely, I love the Constitution. Right? Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. I'm all about that. And he says, okay, fourth thing right here, I've got this document you signed, transferring your citizenship out of Afghan to the United States of America. Will you sign? You sign on the dotted line. He said, that's it. Four steps, let's roll. How relieved would you be? How relieved would you be to be lifting out of that hellhole. Well, how relieved are we today that God has come and promised us 
These are four simple steps. God has not given us some 16-step process that takes years and it's arduous and it's vague and it's bureaucratic. He said, four things. You do these four things and I will save you and I will rescue you. And God cannot lie, the Bible says. He always keeps his word. And he says, it's a promise. Acts 2.39, the promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call unto himself. God has chosen us based upon his foreknowledge of those who would in the future at some point obey the gospel. All right, that's the role of God the Father. God chooses. Secondly, Peter mentions God the Holy Spirit. And the role of God the Holy Spirit in our salvation is uh, the word sanctify or sanctification. And my prop today is uh, lightsaber. Pretty cool, right? Have you ever seen this in church before? No. So uh, what, I've got a lightsaber up here, or it could be a sword. Okay, the word sanctification, this is probably be the harder one to remember today at lunch. And it is a word that's in a family of words that all have the same basic root. It's uh, sanctification, saint, holy, or holy one. All have the same basic root. And in the original language, the root of the word sanctification means to cut and set apart. Right? To cut and set apart. And the idea behind being made holy or being sanctified is that when we are saved, the Holy Spirit sets us apart from those who are not saved. So uh, Colossians chapter 1 puts it this way. We are transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. When you're saved, you go from a lost position into a saved position. The Holy Spirit does that. He marks us and He sets us apart from those who are lost. Now, some people are, are thinking, well, that's not really fair to those who are left behind. What about all the Afghanis who are left behind? This one family gets pulled out. Well, let me, let me explore that metaphor just a little bit more. Let's go back to Afghanistan. Uh, would, if, if the U.S. commando went and grabbed like a Taliban, a member of the Taliban, and said, come on, you're coming with me to the helicopter. Taliban says, what, where are we going? So, I'm taking you to the United, United States of America. Is that a loving thing for the commando to do? Because the Taliban, he says, I, I don't want to go to America. And the commando says, why not? It's so much better in America than it is here. Well, no, not, not from my perspective. I love it here. I hate America. I hate everything America stands for. America is the great Satan in his eyes. So would the commando be doing something loving if he compelled the Taliban member to come with him? No, not at all. And it would never work. Taliban would never, would never work as a citizen of the United States. Doesn't believe in any of that. By the way, that's why these four conditions that we talked about, obeying the gospel, believe, repent, confess Jesus as Lord and be baptized, they're not arbitrary. They're necessary. This is because a person has to have a change of heart and a change of mind in order to even want to be saved in the first place. All right, in my analogy, there are people in this world who, number one, either don't believe in God as we understand Him, the Bible presents Him. Number two, if they do believe there is a God, they don't like Him. 
They don't like what the Bible says about him. They don't believe in what he stands for. They don't want someone else running their life or as Lord of their life. They want to run their own life. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I don't believe in those particular values or morals. They don't like it in church. They wouldn't like it in heaven. And it would not be the loving thing to do to try to compel them. That's why there must be belief, repentance, confess Jesus as Lord in order even to be a candidate to be sanctified or set apart in the first place. Sanctification really has two senses that we're set apart when we're saved automatically. Our position changes, so we are in the saved position. We're in Christ. We're in the Lord. That's a done deal. But there's also a, a sanctification is a sense in which I'm a work in progress, right? I may be declared holy, but in my actual condition, I'm not quite there yet. God's still working on me. God's still working on you. That's the role of the Holy Spirit within us. He is an internal source of moral power as we live our lives to help us be obedient to God and obedient to Christ. Right? That's a, it's both a place and a, a position and a condition and a process. The Hebrew writer expresses this when he says, By one sacrifice, God has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Well, if you've been made perfect, in what sense do you need to be made holy? Well, we've been made perfect in the sense God declares us righteous. And in Christ we are in his eyes. That's why we get to go to heaven, because we have the righteousness of Christ. That's our position. But in our condition... We're still being made holy. That's the progressive process of sanctification. Holy Spirit does both of those. Okay, so we're at lunch. And remember, say it with me. God does what? Chooses. Say it with me. And number two, the Holy Spirit does what? Sanctifies. Okay. Two out of three. And then we turn our attention to Jesus. Peter continues. God the Son sprinkled. I say your word. For God the Son is, so this is, my hyssop, this is my hyssop branch with which I am sprinkling. And why do you say, Steve, why is you have a hyssop branch? Because right here, when Peter talks about God the Son sprinkled to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, he is hearkening back to Old Testament imagery. So if we were Israelites or Jews living in Old Testament times, say we were back when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and he brought the law, the way that Moses ceremonially cleansed and purified both the book of the law and the Jewish people was, was to dip this branch in a bowl of animal blood and start slinging it around. And he sprinkled both the book and the people with that blood. That blood ceremonially cleansed the people. Hebrews chapter 9. This is kind of a long passage. After Moses had read each of God's commandments to the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of God's law and all the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Thankfully, we're not Jews and we don't do that anymore. But it, it was a type. It was a shadow of what was to come when we were to be cleansed once and for all by the blood of Jesus, right? Hebrews chapter 10, 
Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So when you are baptized at that moment in time, that's when God applies the blood of Christ to your heart and cleanses it, cleanses it with the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Afghanistan. So you're lifting off in the helicopter with the commando. You're the interpreter. And you turned to him and said, why me? Why was I chosen? You said I had friends in high places. The commando says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is the way it worked out. You were an interpreter for a soldier for several years. And this soldier would write letters every week back to his father and tell him about his experiences. And he talked about you and his letters. And y'all grew close, in fact, like brothers. And he loved you. Well, this soldier was eventually killed in action. And his father loved him. And his father never forgot about you. And his father happens to be a high-ranking member of the Senate Intelligence Armed Forces Committee. He's got leverage. He pulled strings. And he sent me to save you. Because of the Son. Because of your relationship to the Son. And his love for the Son. Now, I talked about belief, repentance, confession, and baptism. Receiving God's salvation. That certainly doesn't earn us salvation. There's nothing particularly virtuous in obeying those four gospel commands. If you give me a gift of $1,000, you write me a check, and I turn it over and endorse that check, my endorsing the check did not, was nothing virtuous about that. It doesn't cancel that being a gift to me. And the reason that we are saved is because God the Son, this particular person in the Trinity, became one of us, became a human being, and came here and lived, and then he died in our place. He shed his blood. His blood simply means his death. And in doing so, he paid the penalty for our sin and made our rescue, our salvation possible. These steps are the means of our salvation, but this right here, Jesus, is the ground or the foundation of our salvation. So with Jesus, it's sprinkled. With God, it's chosen. With the Holy Spirit, it's sanctified. And you say, all right, where's the so what? I mean, how does any of this today, Steve, help me with my job? Or how does it help me with my relationship problem? Or how does it help me with the, what I'm experiencing in my health right now? Well, I don't know necessarily about all those things. But I do think it can help us in our worship. You know, one of the most important things about us is that we were created. We were created right? To worship and to glorify God. The better worshipers we can become, we're fulfilling the purpose for why we are here. And, and as the song says, to know, know, know Him is to love, love, love Him. The more we know God, the better we know Him. And about the Trinity and, and what happened when we were saved. The more authentic, as I said, is our gratitude and our love and our worship of God. I read a book not too long ago on addictions. It's called Addictions, Banquets in the Grave. And part, it's a great book. And part of the thesis of this book is that addictions, whether those be sexual addictions or alcohol or other kind of drug dependencies or a shopping addiction or binge watching TV or cutting, whatever it may be, all kinds of sins. And everybody's, everybody has some kind, I think, of, of uh, sinful bondage that they have to fight with. Part of the thesis of this author was that addiction is not just like a chemical problem. It's a worship problem. 
Are we going to focus on and worship and satisfy the cravings of our, of our bodies and our nature? Or are we going to worship God? See, these are idols, and it's idols that creep in and call for our attention and satisfaction. And they're in competition with God. Addictions are a worship problem. And the more we know about and love our God and feel for Him, the more free we're going to be from our temptations and our sins and our addictions. And then grace and peace will certainly abound in our lives. 